0: وَيَسْتَفْتُونَكَ فِي النِّسَاءِ And they seek a legal verdict from you concerning the women. They're like, again, women. You should be happy. At the beginning of the surah, we learned many commands, many laws concerning women. And the surah is called An-Nisa', the women. Why? Because the surah contains many laws, many rules concerning the matters of women. Now we know that the Arabs, they had a very unfair allocation of rights between men and women. Men had rights that women were far away from. And women, they basically had nothing. Such as they received no inheritance, they had no say in regards to their marriage, they received no maha. And if a woman lost her male guardian, then she was a reason for a man to amass more money. People were not interested in her, they were interested in the money that they could get through her. So what happened then? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abolished all such practices. We learned about the laws of inheritance where women were given their shares. We learnt about the obligation upon the man to give the mahar to who? To the wife. Not her father, not her brother, not her uncle, but to her. And if a person, if a man does not give the mahar to her, then this is a huban kabira. Likewise, we learnt about the general rights of women. Now, women were granted their rights, but this was something that was strange for some people. Okay? Just like today, just like these days. In some cultures, if a woman says that, I need my mahav, even though it's been 20 years, you never gave me my mahav, I need my mahav, give it to me, people think that she's being very greedy. Correct? Or they think that she should not demand her mahr. Because this is what happens. At the time of marriage, she's told, you'll be given your mahar When? Whenever I have the money. Okay? And that time never comes. So this was something strange for some people. It was difficult for them to accept. And not just difficult. It was also difficult for them to understand. They needed further clarification. Okay? They needed further clarification. So what happened? Time after time, people would come to the Prophet ﷺ asking questions concerning the rights of women. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah, وَيَسْتَفْتُونَكَ فِي النِّسَاءِ They ask you legal verdicts concerning the matters of women. يَسْتَفْتُونَكَ from istifta, from the word fatwa. What does fatwa mean? What is a fatwa? Hmm? A judgment, a verdict. It's basically a solution to a complicated situation. Okay? So for example, a woman goes for hajj, and she begins her period, so she doesn't know what she's supposed to do, should she go for tawaf, for Sari? should she go to minna or not. So she asks a local mufti what she should do, and he gives her a fatwa that this is what she should do. Okay? So it's a solution to a Complicated situation. And technically, Islamically, what does the word fatwa mean? The religious ruling concerning a particular matter. It's the religious ruling. Okay? So, yastaftoonaka The people came to the Prophet وسلم and they asked him about the particular cases related to women. Allah says, قُلْ Say, Allahu yuftikum Allah gives you fatwa. You ask the messenger, Allah tells you what you should do. What does this show? How important is the matter of women? People are asking Muhammad wasallam and Allah gives the answer. Allah gives the answer. قُلِ اللَّهُ يُفْتِيكُمْ فِيهِنَّ وَمَا يُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ And that which is recited upon you fil kitabi, in the book. What does this mean? This means that the answers have already been given to you in the book. In that which has been recited to you of the book. And isn't it so? All of the difficult matters, they were explained earlier in great detail. The beginning of Surah An-Nisa, right? From that point onwards, so many details were mentioned concerning the matters of women. So, وَمَا يُطْلَعَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الكتاب, This has already been mentioned. Concerning who? Fiyatama and nisa'i, Concerning the orphan girls. Now, if you look in this ayah, the fatwa itself is not given. The answer itself is not given. Nor is the question mentioned. It's been generalized. They ask you many questions. And what does Allah say? Allah has already told you. Allah has already told you concerning the orphan girls, concerning the women. He has already revealed the laws earlier. So why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying this? Why? That refer back to what has already been mentioned. And this is a mistake that we commonly make. That there's something already mentioned in the book and in the sunnah. But what do we do? We still go and ask. Right? Like for example, we know that interest is haram. Isn't it? Is there any doubt about that? Is there any doubt about interest being haram? Is there? Not at all. But still, don't we see people asking that in this situation is there an exception? In this situation, may I, may we, but if, what if, doesn't it happen? So same thing was happening at that time. People were bringing questions concerning women. Allah says, we've already told you. Stop bothering the messenger. We've already told you. Allahu fil but again allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them okay the main main rulings why to emphasize their importance so the first case that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights over here concerning the women is yataman nisa yatama plural of yatim yataman nisa are who orphan girls okay orphan girls and which orphan girls allati dozu la hunna. by the way allati is a plural of Allati. Allati. Good. Everybody say? Allati. 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 Louder. 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 Good. So, في يتامى النساء, allati, those orphan girls who, لا تؤتونهن, whom you do not give, ما كتب لهن, what has been prescribed for them. What does it refer to? That you marry them, orphan girls, and then you don't give them the mahr that they deserve. Right? Because at the time of marriage, a woman should be given her mahr. وَتَرْغَبُونَ And you like. تَرْغَبُونَ is from رَغْبَة رَاغَيْن Inclination. You are inclined to أن تَنْكِحُوهُنَّ that you marry them. So you want to marry them, but just because they don't have their father, you don't give them a mahr. So the ruling was given concerning these women earlier. What was the ruling? Wa in khiftum Allah Then what should you do? ma min nisa. Then go marry some other women. Don't marry that orphan girl. Instead, marry someone else. One, two, three, four. Okay. How many ever? Maximum four. But. What's the condition? That you have to give them their right, what they deserve. So Allah has already told you concerning such women. That don't marry them, don't be unfair with them. If you want to marry them, you have to be fair with them. And if you know that you won't be able to be just with them, then don't marry them. Instead, marry somebody else. وَالْمُسْتَضْعَفِينَ The second case that Allah highlights over here, is of those who are oppressed. Minal Wildan from the children. Mustadhafina from Fa weakness. So, Mustadhafine, those who are made weak, those who are oppressed. Minal Wildan. Wildan, plural of Walad, child. Wildan, children. So, Allah has already told you concerning the oppressed children. Who are the oppressed children? Who are children who are easily oppressed? Those who are orphans. Okay? Those who are orphans, so Allah has already told you concerning them that you have to be fair with them. Give them their properties. Okay? The rulings have been mentioned already concerning the oppressed children. And in particular, the oppressed children over here refer to the children of the widows. The children of the widows. Because the thing is that if a woman lost her husband, okay?, and she had her children. Okay. Now, somebody would want to marry her. If she gets married, who do you think is going to be ignored and left out and not be taken care of? The children. right? The husband, the new husband, he doesn't want to take the responsibility of his wife's children because they're not his. He doesn't have any interest in them. So who suffers? Those children suffer. So Allah tells you not to do that. Do not Make these children suffer. Give them what they deserve. And also, the third case that Allah highlights over here is, وَأَن And that you maintain for the orphans their rights in justice. All of the rights of the orphans, maintain them with justice. Which rights? Whether it is with regards to their property, their inheritance, okay, the security of their property, the growth of their property, the fine that you charge for looking after the orphan's property. All of these matters were mentioned in great detail earlier. But what's the main thing that Allah taught us? That be just. Be just with regards to the orphans. وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِهِ عَلِيمًا And whatever you do of any good, then indeed Allah is of it all-knowing. Now what do we see over here? That any good deed a person does, Allah knows about it whether it is a good deed done with the body, with the tongue, with one's pen, okay, with one's fingers, anything, in ibadah, in mu'amalat, in dealing with people, by giving rights, whatever good a person does, then who knows about it? Allah knows about it. Why is the ayah concluded with this? Why is the ayah concluded with this? Because who's asking about the rights of other people? Those who feel the burden of giving people their rights. So they want to know the bare minimum rights. Okay, what is my duty towards them? What am I supposed to do? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to focus on giving other people their rights and not just be concerned about our own rights only. We shouldn't be selfish, concerned about our own rights, but also be concerned about other people's rights. When we think about women... Right? Always there is a discussion about women's rights. Women's rights. You know, this is a right that Allah has given to women. This is what the Quran gives to the women. This is women's rights, and so on and so forth. Such a war. Right? That people fight all the time. Our rights, our rights, our rights. Allah says, وَمَا تَفْعُلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ If you do any good, Allah knows about it. Don't be selfishly concerned about your rights only. Also be worried about your obligations. And if there is a woman, Khafat who fears, from خَوْف. And خَوْف over here gives meaning of تَوَقُع, of expectation. So she expects in the future, she sees the signs, she's afraid that this will happen. What? مِنْ بَعْلِهَا from her husband. The word بَعْل, بَعْعِنْ lam is used for the husband. The word زَوْج can be used for husband and wife. زَوْج, زَوْجَة. But بَعْل is only for who, the husband? Okay. So if a woman fears from her husband, nushuzan, ill treatment, contempt, au or iradan, evasion, disinterest. What is nushuz? We learned this word earlier. Nashaza is to rise. Okay. So nushuz is when rises above the other, tries to be the dominant one, tries to oppress the other. How? By treating them ill, by being harsh with them, right? by not giving them their rights, by having an I don't care attitude, by saying whatever to anything that is mentioned. okay? Shrugging the shoulders. This is what shoes is. When a person doesn't care about the other, and he is rising above them. So if a woman fears نشوز from her husband, what is نشوز of the husband towards his wife? What is it? What comes to your mind? Okay, abuse. نشوز is basically ill-treatment of the wife. What is ill-treatment of the wife? That first of all, he doesn't give her her rights. Which rights? Whether it is of expenditure, money, fulfilling the basic needs, buying groceries, buying clothes, you know, fixing the dishwasher or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? And whenever the woman mentions something that by the way, this bill is due, by the way, I really need a phone, by the way, I really need to go to this doctor's appointment, by the way, I don't have a winter jacket this year. He's like, why are you always demanding things from me? I'm not going to give you anything. And then instead of fulfilling her needs, he is rude towards her doesn't give her a penny, and then scolds her and yells at her, humiliates her, insults her. Okay? And then also her other rights, like for example physical rights. He doesn't sleep with her. He doesn't show any love to her. He doesn't treat her like a wife, doesn't show any kind of compassion. Nothing at all. So this is nushuz of the husband towards the wife. So if a woman sees this in her husband, Aw i'radan, irad, Aversion. I'rad is to turn away. That he turns away from her. What does it mean? He has no interest in her anymore. Doesn't ask her, How are you doing? Doesn't praise her, appreciate her, takes everything for granted, and has no interest in her. Doesn't speak to her all day, doesn't see her for two days, is away for two months. No interest. Does it happen? Tell me. Does it happen? Do you know of any couple... Who is going through problems? Yeah? Does everyone know a couple who is going through such problems that the husband is not interested in the wife or he ignores her, he doesn't give her her rights, he treats her harshly. Do you know of any couple like this? We all do. It happens. This is a reality. I'm not saying it's right, but this is a reality. So if this happens in a marriage, then what should be done? the woman should just end the marriage. She should say, you know what? I quit. I don't care about you. Go your own way. I'm free. This is what she should do. Walk out of that marriage. Why should she stand that man? Why should she? Okay. She'll walk out of that marriage and then what will happen? Her children, they need the dad. And then she says to them, that, look, your dad never loved you. Your dad never cared about you. This is how he treated me. But the children always want to know, who is our dad? Right? They want to know. Or later on after the divorce, the woman says, you know what, I don't have, last year I didn't have a winter jacket, this year I don't have a place to stay. I'm going from shelter to shelter. I'm waiting for the government support. I'm waiting for the money that the government can give me with which I can buy basic groceries for myself and for the children and then custody wars and so on and so forth, one problem after the other. She doesn't have any money, she doesn't have any residence, and then she says, at least I had a home to live in before. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? So the thing is that when there is shoes on the part of the wife, we learned about this earlier, what was the man told? To take certain steps in order to save the marriage. And what were the steps that the husband was taught? To discipline the wife. She's rebelling, she's being rude, she's being harsh, she's being disobedient. Discipline her. How? Talk to her. Ignore her a little. If it still doesn't work, be a little harsh with her, discipline her physically. And we discussed what that means, right? Why? In order to save the marriage. You know how much it hurts a man's ego if his wife insults him? You know how much it hurts him? it can kill it. He can feel like nothing if his wife insults him. But still, what is he told? To discipline her in order to save the marriage. Now, on the part of the woman, if the husband is not doing his job, what is she told? Take certain steps in order to save the marriage. Why? Because the easy way out is to what? End the relationship. Ending the relationship is very easy. All that has to be done is you go to court, you get the divorce papers, file them, khalas, done. Or the man says, talaq, done, finished. It's very easy to end the relationship. But the consequences are not easy at all. How? First of all, it's emotionally very draining for the man and the woman to go through a divorce. Ask anybody who's gone through a divorce. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not nice at all. Then, if they have children, the children suffer a lot. Isn't it so? If they have shared property, over that there is so much confusion. Right? In the case of a woman, if she gets divorced, then there's always that fear, will she ever get married again? Amongst Muslims, for a man, it's easy to get married. But for a girl who is in her mid-thirties, okay, or who is divorced, or who has even one child, for her to get married again, how possible is it? Tell me. How possible is it these days? It's not possible. It's very, very difficult. No matter how open-minded we've become, no matter how advanced we've become, if we find out about a girl who is divorced, la, 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 no way. We don't know what kind of a girl she was. Right? And Muslim men, they always have this issue as well oh, she's not a virgin. Right? So, because of that, getting married again is a bigger problem. So, divorce is easy, but the consequences are not easy. This is why it's a weak narration, but it is said that إل the most hated of permissible things to Allah is divorce. It's a weak narration, but the lesson here is that although divorce is permissible, but it's not something that is like that much. Okay? So, like I said, divorce is easy, consequences are not. This is why instead of ending the relationship, both the partners have to strive in order to maintain the relationship. Now for the husband, he has to discipline. For the wife, can she discipline her husband? The husband is doing the shoes, so she says, why are you talking to me like that? Be a man. Be respectful. Show respect to me. Treat me nicely. Treat me properly. I'm not going to talk to you if you behave with me like this. Is it going to work? Is it going to work? Tell me. It's not going to work. Is the husband is showing the shoes and the wife is also showing the shoes in return, what's going to happen? Just one day and the marriage will finish. Okay? So the wife has been taught a different strategy in order to save her marriage. And what is that? compromise. You're like, what? This is unfair. Why should she be a pushover? Why should she just accept what's going on? This is something that not only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us, but people have realized this today. Non-Muslims even. People who don't believe in the Quran and Sunnah. But people who have healthy marriages, successful relationships, this is what they have learned. That if you want your relationship to last, you have to compromise. You have to give up some of your rights. You have to give space to the other partner. Why? So that they can get themselves back together and they can realize the importance of this relationship and they can accept you once again. That women, there's a study that proves that women are easily able to adapt to new situations. So if the husband all of a sudden becomes disinterested in her, then she should adapt to that situation, compromise for some time, and hopefully, inshallah, things will get better. This is why Allah says, "Fala Junaha There is no sin upon them two. Who? Dasman and the wife. and yusliha sulha, That they make terms of settlement between themselves. What is this terms of settlement? That the wife says, Okay, fine. You know what? We are married still. Okay, you don't spend money on me. You don't give me any money every month, but still we are married. It's okay, I accept it. Why? In order to let the marriage survive. Because technically, it's not allowed for a man to not spend on his wife. It's his obligation to spend on her, isn't it? So when he's not spending on her, he is being sinful. Unless the woman agrees. Unless the woman agrees. She says it's okay. So if the woman agrees to this, is the man still sinful then? No. Why would a woman agree to this? Because she wants to save the marriage. usually, sulha. Likewise, the woman says, fine, you don't want to tell me how much you're making? You don't want to tell me about your business? You don't want to tell me that you have married another woman? Whatever you've done, it's okay. But let me be your wife still. Let me stay here. I accept the way you have changed the things of our family, changed the family dynamics, but I want to be your wife, I want to be with my kids in this house. And even though we don't see you for weeks, but we know that you are still around. Now if a man would do this without the consent of the woman, is it sin on his part? Very much so. Very much so. But if the woman is agreeing to it just to save the marriage, it's a temporary thing that they're doing. She has agreed to do to save the marriage. Then, is that better? Yes. Allah says, وَالصُلْحُ khair. This compromise, this settlement is always best. Why? Because sooner or later, inshallah, things will improve. Things will improve. But obviously people will not do it. Many people won't do it. The woman will say, no, this is unfair. Why should I agree? If he doesn't want to spend on me, I don't want him. Why should I be tied to him? I should be free as well. If he's gone off married someone else, I don't want him anymore. I want a divorce, I'm gonna go marry somebody else. He doesn't want me, I don't want him. Allah says, Wa الْأَنفُسُ الشُحْرِ and present in human souls is stinginess. Uhdirat from Hadara. Hadara is to be present. So in the human soul, what is present? What is ever present? Ashuh. What is shuh? Sheen ha Shuh is greed and stinginess. That a person wants and doesn't want to give. He wants his rights, doesn't want to give anything. So basically, don't want any kind of compromise the woman will think like this, that no, my right, my right, I don't want him, I don't care about him. Allah says, وَإِن تُحْسِنُوا وَتَتَّقُوا But if you do ihsan, if a woman is agreeing to this compromise, this is ihsan on her part. وَتَتَّقُوا You fear Allah. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِرَةً Then indeed Allah is ever with whatever you do, all aware. He is aware of what you do. So if you're sacrificing, you're suffering, Allah knows and He will reward you. Because remember, Allah does not waste the reward of those who are patient, of those who do ihsan. So if you're suffering in your marriage, but for the greater good, you accept it, then Allah will reward you abundantly. Always tell yourself, this is temporary. Life will end. Now like I mentioned to you earlier, that this is something that not only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, but people who have successful relationships, even they have realized. There's an essay that originally appeared in the New York Times in which this woman has written about her situation. I'm going to read this out to you, okay? I know it's a little long, but I want you to pay attention. It's something that will really clarify this ayah to you. And obviously there are going to be things that we don't do, we don't believe in, but please have a bit of tolerance, okay? She says, let's say you have what you believe to be a healthy marriage. You're still friends and lovers after spending more than half of your lives together. The dreams you set out to achieve in your 20s, gazing into each other's eyes in candlelit city bistros, when you were single and skinny, have for the most part come true. Two decades later, you have the 20 acres of land, the farmhouse, the children, the dogs and horses. You're the parents you said you would be, full of love and guidance. You've done it all. Disneyland, camping, Hawaii, Mexico, city living, stargazing. Sure, you have your marital issues. But on the whole, you feel so self-satisfied about how things have worked out that you would never in your wildest nightmares think you would hear these words from your husband one fine summer day. I don't love you anymore. I'm not sure I ever did. I'm moving out. The kids will understand. They'll want me to be happy. But wait, this isn't the divorce story you think it is neither is it a begging him to stay story. It's a story about hearing your husband say, I don't love you anymore, and deciding not to believe him, and what can happen as a result. Here's a visual. Child throws a temper tantrum, tries to hit his mother, but the mother doesn't hit back, lecture or punish. Instead, she ducks. And then she tries to go about her business, As if the tantrum isn't happening. She doesn't reward the tantrum. She simply doesn't take the tantrum personally because after all, it's not about her. Let me be clear. I'm not saying my husband was throwing a child's tantrum. No, he was in the grip of something else. A profound and far more troubling meltdown that comes not in childhood but in midlife. When we perceive that our personal trajectory is no longer arcing reliably upward as it once did. But I decided to respond the same way I'd responded to my children's tantrums. And I kept responding to it that way for four months. I don't love you anymore. I'm not sure I ever did. His words came at me like a speeding fist like a sucker punch. Yet somehow in that moment, I was able to duck. And once I recovered and composed myself, I managed to say, I don't buy it. Because I didn't. He drew back in surprise. Apparently he'd expected me to burst into tears, to rage at him, to threaten him with a custody battle, or beg him to change his mind. So he turned mean. I don't like what you've become. Gut wrenching pause. How could he say such a thing? That's when I really wanted to fight, to rage, to cry, but I didn't. Instead, a shroud of calm enveloped me, and I repeated those words. I don't buy it. You see, I'd recently committed to a non-negotiable understanding with myself. I'd committed to the end of suffering. I'd finally managed to exile the voices in my head that told me my personal happiness was only as good as my outward success, rooted in things that were often outside my control. I'd seen the insanity of that equation and decided to take responsibility for my own happiness. And I mean all of it. My husband hadn't yet come to this understanding with himself. He had enjoyed many years of hard work and its rewards had supported our family of four all along. But his new endeavor hadn't been going so well. And his ability to be the breadwinner was in rapid decline. He'd been miserable about this, felt useless, was losing himself emotionally and letting himself go physically. And now he wanted out of our marriage to be done with our family. But I was not buying it. I said, It's not age appropriate to expect children to be concerned with their parents' happiness. Not unless you want to create codependents who will spend their lives in bad relationships and therapy. There are times in every relationship when the parties involved need a break. What can we do to give you the distance you need without hurting the family? Huh? He said, Go trekking in Nepal. Build a yard in the back meadow. Turn the garage studio into a man cave. Get that drum set you've always wanted. Anything but hurting the children and me with a reckless move like the one you're talking about. Then I repeated my line. What can we do to give you the distance you need without hurting the family? Huh? How can we have a responsible distance? I don't want distance, he said. I want to move out. My mind raced. Was it another woman? Drugs, some secrets But I stopped myself I would not suffer Instead, I went to my desk and googled Responsible separation And came up with a list It included things like Who's allowed to use what credit cards Who are the children allowed to see you with in town Who's allowed keys to what I looked through the list and passed it on to him His response Keys? We don't even have keys to our house I remained stoic I could see pain in his eyes. Pain I recognized. Oh, I see what you're doing, he said. You're going to make me go into therapy. You're not going to let me move out. You're going to use the kids against me. I never said that. I just asked, what can we do to give you the distance you need? Stop saying that. Well, he didn't move out. Instead, he spent the summer being unreliable. He stopped coming home at his usual six o'clock. He would stay out late and not call. He blew off our entire 4th of July, the parade, the barbecue, the fireworks, to go to someone else's party. When he was at home, he was distant. He wouldn't look me in the eye. He didn't even wish me happy birthday. But I didn't play into it. I walked my line. I told the kids, daddy's having a hard time, as adults often do. But we're a family no matter what. I was not going to suffer, and neither were they. My trusted friends were irate on my behalf. How can you just stand by and accept this behavior? Kick him out, get a lawyer. I walked my line with them too. This man was hurting. Yet his problem was not mine to solve. In fact, I needed to get out of his way so he could solve it. I know what you're thinking. I'm a pushover. I'm weak and scared and would put up with anything to keep the family together. I'm probably one of those women who would endure physical abuse. But I can assure you, I'm not. I load 1,500 pound horses into trailers and gallop through the high country of Montana all summer. I went through Pitocin-induced natural childbirth and a cesarean section without follow-up drugs. I am handy with a chainsaw. I simply had come to understand that I was not at the root of my husband's problem. He was. If he could turn his problem into a marital fight, he could make it about us. I needed to get out of the way so that wouldn't happen. Privately, I decided to give him time. Six months. I had good days and I had bad days. On the good days, I took the high road. I ignored his lashing out, his merciless jabs. On bad days, I would fester in the August sun while the kids ran through sprinklers, raging at him in my mind. But I never wavered. Although it may sound ridiculous to say, don't take it personally, when your husband tells you he no longer loves you, sometimes that's exactly what you have to do. Instead of issuing ultimatums, yelling, crying, or begging, I presented him with options. I created a summer of fun for our family and welcomed him to share in it. Or not, it was up to him. If he chose not to come along, we would miss him. But we would be just fine. Thank you very much. And we were. And yeah, you can bet I wanted to sit him down and persuade him to stay, to love me, to fight for what we've created. You can bet I wanted to. But I didn't. I barbecued, made lemonade, set the table for four, and loved him from far. And one day, there he was, home from work early, mowing the lawn. A man doesn't mow his lawn if he's going to leave it. Not this man. Then he fixed a door that had been broken for eight years. He made a comment about our front porch needing paint. Our front porch. He mentioned needing wood for next winter. The future. Little by little, he started talking about the future. It was Thanksgiving dinner that sealed it. My husband bowed his head humbly and said, I'm thankful for my family. And he was back. And I saw what had been missing, pride. He'd lost pride in himself. Maybe that's what happens when our egos take a hit in midlife and we realize we're not as young and golden anymore. When life's knocked us around and our childhood myths reveal themselves to be just that, the truth feels like the biggest sucker punch of them all. It's not a spouse or land or a job or money that brings us happiness. Those achievements, those relationships can enhance our happiness, yes, but happiness has to start from within. Relying on any other equation can be lethal. My husband had become lost in the myth, but he found his way out. We've since had the hard conversations. In fact, he encouraged me to write about our ordeal to help other couples who arrive at this juncture in life. People who feel scared and stuck, who believe their temporary feelings are permanent, who see an easy out and think they can escape. My husband tried to strike a deal, blame me for his pain, unload his feelings of personal disgrace onto me. But I ducked and I waited and it worked. So, what do we learn here? Patience, compromise. Know that temporary feelings are not permanent. It's a phase, it will be over. So, be patient. Do some sulh, compromise. And Allah will reward you for your patience, for your sacrifice. And on the other hand, if a woman becomes demanding, she starts arguing, she starts accusing giving ultimatums, then will that save the marriage? No. It will break the marriage. Like it was mentioned, that some people want to escape. They want to take the easy way out. But that's not the solution. The solution is not divorce. The solution is fixing the relationship, maintaining the relationship. And for that, you have to compromise. And I know many of you are not married over here but I want you to learn this lesson, a very, very important lesson for marriage. You have to compromise. Marriage is not a breeze. Marriage is not perfect. The husband will make mistakes. He will fall short. He will. And don't give yourself the option of leaving, quitting, escaping. Because it's not going to solve the problem. Yes, there are extreme cases where you have to get out of the situation, where divorce is the better option. But you cannot get there until you have tried sulh. You have to try sulh first. You have to try compromise first. And believe in the words of Allah: "Wa sulh Sulh is always better. But obviously, the nafs will stop. The soul is full of greed and stinginess. But do it for Allah, and Allah will reward you.